Attention parents and grandparents. The world's greatest children's book author, Brian D. McClure, brings you two books, The Raindrop and The Sun and the Moon, both available at Amazon.com and UniversalFlag.com. The entire family has been waiting for these books. Buy both The Raindrop and The Sun and the Moon by Brian D. McClure, and your children and grandchildren will be inspired, entertained, and educated by the messages and illustrations contained within. For more information, go to www.universalflag.com. The universal flag is a symbol that represents our global community, transcending differences while honoring the uniqueness and commonality of all people. The Universal Flag companies have reached out to over 67 countries because half our world, 3 billion people, live on less than a dollar a day. Brian D. McClure's mission is to spread this symbol globally to inspire and give hope to people in need. Make a donation today to the people who need it most. Help global empowerment prosper through the Universal Flag companies and make a donation now. For more information, go to www.universalflag.com. That's universalflag.com. The Healing Formula is an all-natural OTC wound care formula developed for bed sores and other chronic wounds. The Healing Formula was invented by a home care nurse and is 100% guaranteed. Please visit our website at www.healingformula.com or call us at 800-357-2944. That's 800-357-2944. Good day and welcome to A Call to Consciousness with author and host Brian McClure. Brian and his guests share their personal stories to empower you in knowing that you too are the difference makers in our world. Now, here's your host, Brian McClure. Hello, this is your host, Brian McClure, and welcome to A Call to Consciousness. This show is brought to you by the Universal Flag Companies. The universal flag and symbol represent the oneness of everyone and everything. I opened up my newspaper this morning and I saw that Madonna has had a call to action. She wrote, produced, and narrated a documentary on uh, Malawi uh, titled, I Am Because We Are. It's a documentary about the crisis that's taking place in that African country. And just like Oprah in South Africa and Greg Carr in Mozambique, uh, she is building a school there for the children, and she's building a health facility. And much like John Paul DeJorian, the co-founder and CEO of Paul Mitchell Systems that we had on the show three weeks ago, Madonna says that if all you can do is live life in your world in a way that shows you are responsible for the people around you, then that's a course of action. And I agree with her wholeheartedly. Madonna's documentary falls on the heels of Leonardo DiCaprio's documentary, The Eleventh Hour. What we have is a worldwide awakening going on. The universal flag is at the center of it all. The flag and symbol represents everyone and everything. It does not recognize any separation by race, religion, culture, creed, or borders. The symbol represents the oneness and total interdependence of everyone and everything. Our world is changing one person, one village, one country at a time. 
We are all reawakening to our true selves. At our core, we are all unconditional love. We are all divine beings with purpose and meaning. What we do for another, we do for ourselves. What we do here affects everyone and everything the world over. For more information on the Universal Flag, you can visit the website at www.universalflag.org. And speaking about making a difference in the world for thousands and millions of people, our guest today, Harry Liebowitz, is the founder and board chair of World of Children. He and his wife, Kay, who is also involved, are both retired senior executives of large corporations. In 1996, as Harry was recovering from cancer surgery, he had a vision for World of Children. Watching the Pulitzer Prize announcements on TV, he noted that while there was a Pulitzer for art and literature and a Nobel for the sciences and peace and an Oscar for films, there were no awards for those who were tirelessly serving children in need. Answering his calling, in 1998, he created World of Children, the World of Children Awards program searches the globe for changemakers and provides funding and recognition to support their life-changing work for children. To date, World of Children has awarded more than $2 million in cash grants to 70 child advocates working in more than 35 countries. Harry, welcome to A Call to Consciousness. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. You know, before we get started talking about your program, and it's an incredible program, Harry. I would love to hear your background. Tell us about your growing up and the different paths that you were on that led to your ultimate creation of the world of children. Well, the story is, um, it's, uh, as you can imagine, long, but I'll try to uh, make it fairly short. My parents were immigrants to the United States. Uh, my father arrived in this country at the age of six months from Austria with his mother, but no father uh, was shortly thereafter orphaned and uh, grew up in an orphanage in Manhattan, mm -hmm. in New York, four years in that orphanage before he was adopted. Um, my mother was also an, an immigrant. Uh, she was actually born in, uh, in Europe, uh, but was um, uh, brought to the United States at about the age of one. Uh, our family was relatively poor uh, during uh, uh, the period of the uh, World War II and before we lived in a bungalow in Coney Island in Brooklyn where 10 families shared one bathroom facility. Um, it, was, it was an extraordinary, uh, you know, uh, way to grow up, but mm -hmm. frankly, we didn't know any better. It was, you know, what we expected and, and what we had. Uh, but growing up in that environment, uh, one always has a, you know, a sense of, you know, what other people are doing around you. And, and so I, uh, my family was always caring and loving, and they always, even though as poor we, as we were, they were always uh, giving charity, and, and that was an important part of my life. So um, when I was about um, uh, 14, my father just didn't wake up one morning. Uh, he was 46 years old. Uh, shortly thereafter, the county sheriff came and repossessed our furniture, and I had to go to work full-time. And I was 14, and I went to work in a bake shop. Uh, because I was underage, I worked nights from 12.30 at night to 6.30 in the morning and then wow. went to school after that. did that for eight years, all through high school and college. And, um, again, gained a sense of responsibility from that and, uh, uh, and a sense of community from all the people that I met there and, uh, and what that meant to my life. 
Uh, I had the great good fortune uh, to have a good career and a good education. I lived all over the world in my career, uh, England, Spain, Canada, uh, the Far East, uh, the United States, of course, and uh, built uh, you know, a fairly successful career. Uh, but during that time, as I traveled around the world, I got to see firsthand the depredations visited upon children, especially in third world countries, but by the way, also in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I started to get involved in, uh, in uh, issues related to abused and battered children. And then in 96, as you mentioned, when I had my uh, uh, latest cancer surgery, I had this epiphany and started working on World of Children. That's kind of the short, long version. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, Harry? I find that for many of us, uh, we, have, we have a calling, we have something our entire life, all the synchronicities that happen lead us on a path that all of a sudden one day we wake up and we know exactly where we've been headed to the whole time, even though, you know, in that, in that moment when we're going through the trials and tribulations, we have no clue what the result is leading us to. I think that's fair to say, and uh, I really didn't know where I was going to go with this uh, in 96. You know, I I tell people somewhat jokingly I was heavily drugged at the time, although not recreational <laughs> drugs. And, and I think when you're drugged, you, you, ha- you, can, you think you're almost invincible. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. We've, we've had uh, many guests on the show. Uh, Daniel Brinkley, who has had uh, three near-death experiences where he's, uh, you know, visited the other side. And, and I myself had a, had a wonderful opportunity to visit with the other side, which really changed my entire perception on our world. But, uh, you know, unlike you being able to a long time ago seeing the deprivation in other countries, it was only a few months ago that I finally went out. I've been talking about it for a year now. I finally went out to, uh, you know, a couple countries in Africa and saw firsthand in the provinces the uh, lack of sanitation and, and, and the real uh, problem that is so prevalent with uh, millions of orphans because of uh, everything from lack of food, water, and AIDS to you name it, uh, I was really taken back because I think that our country doesn't do a very good job of allowing mainstream to know what the real situation is in third world countries. Well, I think that, too, is fair to say. And, um, you know, I wish that there were more coverage of uh, what the needs are because, you know, I just uh, finished a, a program in which I spoke to a group of people, and I'll repeat what I said to them because it's Thanksgiving, and I, it's something I earnestly and honestly believe. We are the most fortunate people on earth. Uh, we have bounty beyond anything that, that people can imagine anywhere else. You walk into a supermarket in Los Angeles or here where we live up at Lake Tahoe, and you'll see more food in one supermarket than the people in Darfur will see in a month. Um, you know, we are going to have one of the greatest changes in our political system uh, we've ever seen, and it's going to be peaceful. It's going to be seamless. Uh, not so in many other countries. We really are incredibly fortunate, and I do understand why there isn't more coverage, because I think people get into vapor lock when they see year after year and month after month uh, starving children in Africa or South America or Thailand or India, wherever it is, um, and, you know, people you know, just get tired of seeing it. But the fact of the matter is that, um, as you mentioned, in, in Africa alone, there are, according to UNICEF, 19 million AIDS orphans. 19 million. You know, it's interesting because when I went there, 
And I wanted to see firsthand. I ended up uh, in Uganda. I got to ground zero where AIDS started and, and where Ebola virus had broken out. And I didn't understand how AIDS could continue to proliferate until I started talking to the people. And I got a sense of the culture because I hadn't taken culture into account. You know, it is part of the culture for a lot of the males to go out with concubines. And because of the lack of education, because of not being able to read or write or communicate in mass ways, and because of the lack of uh, transportation or even ability to get from one village to the next, the information just hasn't gotten to the people. Well, that's true, but even beyond that, the culture um, is is one in which um, there's no sense of uh, things like birth control and so on. Uh, it's just a different culture, and I, mm-hmm. I'm not here to to judge somebody else's culture. But what, you know, the the we focus on the children, and and very often people say, well, you know, these people shouldn't have that many children. Well, that may be the case, but that's not my mission. Once right. those children are born into this world, that becomes my mission. They didn't ask to be born into this world. It wasn't their idea. And for them to come into this world and have to suffer the way that they do, it, you know, is just not acceptable in a world in which we have so much bounty. Now, I understand that we probably do not have enough bounty uh, or enough uh, facility to secure 19 million AIDS orphans from Africa, but we sure as heck can do something. And we sure as heck can do more than we do now. And we at World of Children, of course, as, as our mission, recognize those people who are doing great things. We had one honoree this year from uh, Ethiopia who is uh, with her, you know, uh, with her 600,000. AIDS orphans just in that one country, Mm -hmm. Uh, and she has facilities in which she houses these children, treats them, educates them, gives them life skills and marketable skills, Uh, you know, and one would say, well, you know, how many children? Well, the answer is she's handled about 20,000 children so far, and she now has 3,000 children in her care, and one says, well, that's... You know, that's nothing. Well, it's significant. It is it, tremendously it's significant. valuable. And the numbers of people that they affect. And in small ways where I was when I went to Sierra Leone, I saw a person who started a school that I, that I spoke at or helped talk, and he took 155 of those street children out of the 650 that applied on in one day into school and started a free school for them, the only free school that they had. You know, another thing besides just the food, you know, I was not aware of the lack of ability for education. You know, until I went out to the villages and saw that, oh, education is a board under a tree in the middle of nowhere, and you have volunteers who teach what they know, and that most of the children have no opportunity in some of those war-torn countries. And as you mentioned, Darfur up in the Sudan or the Congo on the west, there have been wars that have been raging for 20 years. Yeah. And it's not only in, in Africa. I, mean, I don't want to lead people to believe that Africa is just, you know, the dark continent in and of itself. In South America, we have much the same thing when you get out of some of the big cities. You get into the barrios and the rural areas, and you have, uh, you know, the uh, only about uh, a third of the population uh, is educated to the point where they can read and write in many mm-hmm. of these places. And the same thing is true in parts of Southeast Asia, and certainly even in India, where you know, which has uh, uh, had this great economic miracle, there are still 350,000 
people living in shanty towns uh, in India. Now that's the whole population of the United States. You know, so <laughs> three hundred fifty million, correct? Three hundred fifty million. I'm sorry. Thank right. You. Right. Thank you for catching that. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> three hundred fifty million. Absolutely. You know what? It numbers numbers get mind-boggling when you start to look at it. Right. Well, you know, I'd love to tell have you tell us about the history of your program, the history of World of Children. You know, you you thought about it, and for so many of us, we're given the opportunity to create something that comes to us, and a lot of us say no. I was one of those people who said no for a good uh, eight years before I was beaten in the head by a baseball bat, but you said yes. What did you do in 96 when you got that that hit? Well, I started, um, uh, having been fortunate enough to have a career in business and marketing with big companies, I knew how to do a, a business plan, if you will. So I started working on it in 96, putting together a business plan. I was, uh, I had had surgery, as I, as I told you, I was catheterized, I was home alone. I hadn't met my wife, my wife yet, um, and uh, I was to meet her two years, uh, three years later. And she has become my, not only my partner in life, but my partner in the world of children and um, with great love and affection for everything we do. So uh, I was by myself, and I started working on the plan. It took me two years and about a quarter of a million dollars um, of money just to get it organized because I didn't want to, and I'm not a wealthy man. I mean, I'm I'm not poor by any standard, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I did well in my career, but I'm not a Bill Gates. I'm not a, you know... (laughs) a person of that kind of wealth. But over the course of two, two and a half years, I spent the money because I thought it was worthwhile and put together an infrastructure because I wanted this to be a gold standard. I didn't want it to be just something I threw together and, you know, well, maybe we'd give some people some money and that would be it. I wanted it to really have um, uh, the kind of uh, underpinnings that I would have done if I was building a business at, say, Procter & Gamble, where I started my career. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I built it around those kinds of models, and it took a while. Um, and um, uh, and so it took me two years, and in 98, we gave out our first award. Uh, we just had our awards program for 08, which was held two, a little over two weeks ago uh, in New York. We had eight honorees. We gave out a, uh, you know several hundred thousand dollars. Uh, we bring them all to New York, and we have a ceremony at UNICEF headquarters in Manhattan. And these people are just, they're extraordinary. And we now have 78 uh, alumni, as we like to call them. We've given out millions of dollars. We've touched the lives of, I don't know how many tens of millions of children around the world through these honorees. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a, you know, a, a, a thumbnail. And, um, you know, uh, as you wish, I can go into more details. Uh, well, you know, I would love you to tell us uh, how, many, how many nominations do you get on an annual basis now? Well, this year we had 167 nominations from 33 countries, mm-hmm. and out of that we selected eight people. And the process we use is one of the things that took me so long to put together, because it is a gold standard, um, you know, for for this industry. Um, First of all, people have to meet minimum qualifications. We have two adult award categories, a health care award and a humanitarian award, and we have a youth category for young people who are helping other children. For the adult categories, the people have to have been doing their work for a minimum of 10 years. It has to be sustainable, it has to be above reproach, and they have to be doing their work above and beyond their paid employment. So it's, it's difficult to meet the requirements to begin with. Wow. Then... 
we take all of the nominations that come in and we have a group of 80 people around the United States and Canada who review these and vote on them. We have a standardized system. Um, at the end of, of that period, we come down to about the top 20 in each of the two adult categories. Then these, this group of 80 people meets again, and this time they, they have a, we have a phone call, a conference call with 80 people. Uh, they discuss all of these um, potential honorees and pick six or seven or so in each category. Those are then sent out to a private investigative agency that we pay to go out in the field, wherever it is, Zimbabwe, Malawi, India, Pakistan, we don't care where they are, and they actually do an on-site investigation and issue an independent report so that we can be certain these people are who they say they are, that they are doing the work they say they're doing, that they are above reproach, and, um, and that they meet the qualifications. That's not the end of it. Then we have an international panel of just about 25 to 30 child care experts from around the world, including the chancellor of the City University of New York, the headmistress of schools in Australia, and so on. And these people then vote on the winners. Wow. And that's how we come down to the eight people uh, who got honored. Now, in the youth award category, uh, there's a little bit of difference because they only have to have been doing their work for three years, not ten. Obviously, if they're under 21, ten years would be a pretty uh, difficult requirement to meet. So, so tell us about the different categories. I know you have three of them, and why don't you give us an overview of those? Well, the health category is almost self-explanatory. It's people who are doing substantial work to impact the health and well-being uh, of children, and all of our honorees must be doing work specifically and exclusively with children. So, for example, if somebody is doing work with, let's say, families and 30% of their uh, constituents are children, that doesn't qualify for our awards. I know some people would say that's a bit you know, arduous or a bit uh, restrictive, but it's the way we've designed it. So they have to have been doing their work exclusively with children. Mm -hmm. The humanitarian award covers everything else, education, uh, uh, orphans, uh, children of war, um, you know, anything that isn't covered by the health care category. And then we have the youth award, as I mentioned, which is children under 21 who have, have been doing or are doing substantial uh, work with other children uh, to uh, imp improve life around the world. And these kids are extraordinary, I have to tell you. Isn't that amazing? Uh, you know, and that's something that probably when you first started this, you didn't know who you would have or what you would find. Well, absolutely in the child category. In fact, the way that came about is um, my my wife and I, uh, we, we had gotten together. We were not married yet, but we were reviewing nominations uh, as they came in, and we saw this one young man from Canada who was about 16 or 15 at the time and was doing extraordinary work, and we just felt terrible that we couldn't honor him because he didn't meet the requirements. So we talked about it, and we decided to go to our board and say, look, we would like to personally write a check and have a special award called the Founders Award, and we will underwrite the total cost this, in addition to whatever other money we are providing, because, of course, we, we give a substantial amount of money to the cause as well. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's how it came about. It really was my wife uh, seeing this resume, and, uh, and then uh, uh, we talked about it and decided this was something to do, and it's now become a major part of our organization. I have a feeling that when you read the resumes, when you find out the work that people are doing around the world, it, it, it almost causes an overwhelming uh, uh, feeling of, of, of gratitude for you. Yeah, uh, gratitude and also a little bit, you know, it, it's, it's a 
uplifting on one hand and sad on the other that we can't honor them all. Absolutely, absolutely. How, you know, that must be the most difficult thing that, you know, your committee comes down to is making the final selections when you have so many worthy and incredible human beings. Why don't you give us the resumes or an overview of, say, this year, if you have them, of the eight honorees that you have? I'd be happy to do that because they were all extraordinary. Um, we had um, uh, in the uh, uh, in the humanitarian category, we had three um, winners. Uh, we had a um, a woman from um, uh, from South America, from Brazil, Rita Concieson, and she uh, has been rescuing uh, African Brazilian girls. In in Brazil, there's a, something of a caste system with the African Brazilian um, uh, living at the bottom of the caste, and uh, they live in shanty towns. The girls are subjects of rape and slavery and, you know, all kinds of depredation. She grew up in the shanty town, got educated herself, and then went back to rescue girls. She's rescued about 15,000 um, young girls um, uh, and provides them home and education, health care, um, rehabilitation, and so on. Can uh, we, another, can we uh, define yeah, shanty town for the people who may not know? Because these, these are shacks. I mean, they're the kinds that they're almost like lean-tos. They're put together with random pieces of uh, metal that may be found or tarpaulin. Uh, there's no sanitation, no running water. Um, uh, they're um, uh, no electricity. No electricity. Uh, they they're basically. Um, when it rains, it rains inside. The rains floors are the, mud. It's, that's exactly... You have no furniture, and you have no place to move. You'll see families of, uh, of six, seven, ten people living in an uh, uh, eight-by-eight shanty. Yeah, a shanty, a lean-to, uh, you know, a... Um it's just, you know, whatever they can find. A if they stick. can find some, a few pieces of wood, they put those together, or a piece of uh, discarded metal. Uh, they, they go onto the garbage dumps and pick, pick what they can out to put these things together. They're extraordinary. And um, so that, that was one. Uh, then we had a, a boy from Uganda. You mentioned you had been there. Uh, he was, at the age of 14, uh, impressed into military service by the Lord's Resistance Army, had to watch his family burn alive before him. Uh, he was branded like a cow and uh, forced to serve uh, in their army. For two years, he had to kill and rape and so on, and he escaped. Mm -hmm. But they recaptured him and beat him within an inch of his life, um, and he had to serve another year before he could escape again. Eventually, he got to the south of Uganda, got a job, got educated, got a college degree all on his own. took him 10 years to do that. But then when he got his degree, he decided not to stay in the safety of the south. He went back to the north, the war area, and now rescues other child soldiers and the girls they use as their, their whores and prostitutes to keep the, 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 um, <clears throat> the soldiers in line. Uh, his, his name is uh, Aniwa Ricky Richard. He's uh, an amazing young man in his 30s now. And, um, and that war's been going on for 20 years. 22 something that years. I, yeah, something I didn't know until I got there. Yeah, 22 years I was years now. shocked. Yeah, it's a never-ending uh, cycle. The third winner was a, a, a person whose work you'll recognize, name you might not. His name was Edward Ziegler, and he is the founder of... Um, of um, um, I can't remember the name of the program. Uh, oh, I'm having a senior moment. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, okay. he, he's, he, he was the founder of 
some of the greatest programs for children in this country. He's now in his 80s, and there's not a child uh, alive who hasn't been um, uh, hasn't been impacted by his his work. And then. Uh, in the healthcare category, we had a an amazing woman from Ramallah in Palestine, who um, uh, is a doctor, and she will tell you that in her culture, children who are, who have mental and physical defects uh, are often considered disposable, and um, and she doesn't accept that as a principle, and so she rescues these children and gives them a home, a life. Um, maximizes their case. She's almost like a one-person goodwill industries in some ways, you know, but she does even more. She houses them, educates them, loves them. She has facilities in Ramallah, in East Jerusalem, in Dubai. And one would think that, you know, especially in a place like Dubai, which has a great deal of oil wealth, that it would be mm -hmm. easy to get money, but it isn't because the children are considered disposable, and she's considered kind of a heretic, you know. Mm -hmm. but, but she's an amazing woman and does Un incredible work, uh, doesn't believe in any, that any child is disposable. Wow. And then we had a, um, let's see, i got to remember the other, we had a, um, uh, let's see, a, oh, we had a, a guy from the United States who had a heart attack at 56, had an epiphany like I did, and uh, he had been an executive at GE and decided that he was going to use technology um, to help children around the world, and he set something up called Medical Missions for Children, which um, does, uh, uh, they link do teams of doctors in America in real time through satellite communication with difficult cases to treat in third world countries, mm -hmm. so that a local doctor who may not be skilled in some of these more arcane diseases and difficult surgeries can be guided through how to diagnose and treat and actually do surgeries on site in, in real time with doctors in the United States. Wow. Um, uh, let's see, I'm having trouble remembering the, the other one, but the two youth winners, uh, a young girl, 13 years old, Talia Lemont from uh, rural Iowa. And at the age of 10, when Katrina hit uh, New Orleans, she decided to, um, uh, to go online and use her computer to try to raise a few dollars for Katrina relief. Mm -hmm. She raised $10 million. Oh, my gosh. How did and she do that? She did it online through viral marketing and using her computer. And, and uh, that's not why we honored her, by the way. Uh, that was a great accomplishment. But the reason we wound up honoring her is that after that, she said, well, I've just learned something, and I'm going to start an organization. She started one called Random Kid. And now she has almost 1,000 children in the United States and around the world that she helps put together in teams to raise money for their favorite charities. And she helps coach them and put them together and encourage them. She's raising a whole new cohort of philanthropists. Oh, my gosh. And, and she's 13. That's incredible. And then the final one was a young, a young man who just every time I talk about him brings tears to my eyes. He's a, a young African-American child, uh, 18 years old, from uh, rural Georgia. He was born with a very terrible and arcane disease called Duchenne's muscular dystrophy. And, um, and this form of muscular dystrophy, nobody lives past 25. Uh, he knows he's dying. He's in a wheelchair. He's completely paralyzed. 
he um, uh, he saw his mother die of this disease. His brother's genetic, uh, and he just after his brother died, he was 16. He decided, you know, I'm not just going to sit here in this wheelchair and wait to die. I've got to do something. He's not a highly educated young man, but he got some friends together. They were, they got a van, and they started traveling across the United States to raise awareness for this. Well, it got picked up by one of the uh, networks, or and it got made into a, a documentary called Darius Goes West: The Role of His Life. And it, it, this has now won 24 major film awards around the world. He has raised several million dollars for a research into this disease. He knows he's dying, but he will not give up. And he, he is just an inspiration to everybody around us. The final uh, adult winner that I forgot about was Tebebi Mako from Ethiopia. I think I mentioned her earlier. She's rescuing AIDS children, uh, mm-hmm. AIDS orphans in Ethiopia. So that, those are our eight people. Wow, to think that these people have been doing this for the number of years that they've been doing it with the criteria that you set is mind-boggling, just mind-boggling. And you know what I'd like to say to all the listeners is what I've always said. Everybody, everybody out there, one person can make a huge difference in our world in just the way that we approach our world, even if it's in our own community. Wow. Absolutely right. You know, um, there are some statistics that are frightening even about the United States of America. Uh, For example, if I told you that it is estimated by the Centers for Disease Control that there are 300,000 children in forced prostitution in the United States of America, what would you think about that? Be one of the statistics that we talked about on this show. I understand it is shocking. Shocking. The United States of America, the most civilized nation on earth, supposedly. So, you know, we have many problems here. I mean, this year we had four honorees from the United States and four from uh, the international community. So we, we work in, you know, in all areas. And in many ways, like you, we do not, uh, to us, boundaries mean nothing. Geographical boundaries, political boundaries, religious boundaries mean nothing. We are all about children. We're not issue-based. We're children-based. Wow. You know, I would love to. Uh, is there a way that people can take a look at your past honorees? What's your Absolutely. website? The website is www.worldofchildren, all lowercase, all run together with no spaces, dot org. www.worldofchildren.org. And you know what, Harry? Personally, I would love to uh, uh, chat with you or have uh, uh, someone give a call to whoever they can. I'd love to have some of the people from the U.S. On this radio show, a call to consciousness because they are a shining star for all of us, and some, you know, we we can learn from them. I will make sure that that happens. Unbelievable. Well, tell us, tell us where, uh, uh, you know, your program is going to. Certainly, worldwide now, it's gaining reputation. You are moving into other places. I imagine that it won't be too long before you have. Uh, nominees from Iraq or Afghanistan or a number of places that we perceive to be difficult spots in our world? Well, we get nominations from all over the world. We haven't had any from Afghanistan, but um, but we do get nominations from all over the world. We've had nominations in our 11 years in, in existence. We've had nominations from over 90 countries 
uh, around the world. So we get nominations from all over. We've honored people from uh, from 40 countries so far. Um, the, the our goals are are fairly simple. We would like to uh, be able to expand the number of people we we recognize and the categories uh, in which we recognize them. That's one of our longer term goals. We we would like to. My wife and I have the goal of making sure that this uh, uh, goes on beyond us and beyond our board. Now, one of the things we're extremely proud of in the world of children is that our board of governors covers 100% of our overhead. So. Any contributions we receive over and above that go to our programs for these honorees and mm-hmm. for the children. What happens to the awards? Can you tell us how that works? Yes. We, the, the, the funds have to go to the work for children. They, they do not go to the individual. Mm-hmm. We honor the individual, but the funds go to the organization and the work for children. Uh, we have a process by which the people have to submit a plan, and then they have to, um, for, the, if we, for larger awards, like awards of $50,000, and above, and we give awards of fifty thousand, seventy-five thousand, hundred thousand. Sometimes uh, the the minimum award is ten thousand dollars. The maximum is a hundred thousand, and the the amount is determined based on how much money we raise and also the needs that we perceive within the uh, within the particular honorees' work. So. Um, uh, if, if it's a, a, an award above ten thousand uh, dollars, it's it's given to them in, in uh, for example, a fifty thousand dollar award would be in two sections: twenty five thousand this year, twenty five next year. But they have to meet uh, um, benchmarks. Uh, we review those benchmarks. We research them with them. Um, my wife and I and some other members of our team will. Uh, we can't visit all of them. It's too far and you know around. But we visit many of them. Uh, uh, we, we go out in the field and and see what they're doing, but we also require them to submit reports on what they're doing, and mm-hmm. uh, and we get those, and we share those with our donors and with our board, um, and, um, and and uh, and make sure that they're doing good work. And uh, you know what? These people have devoted their lives to this work. None of them are likely to <laughs> to do anything, you know, but use it for the, the best circumstances. Absolutely, for the good for the good right. of all. One of the other things we like to see them do is we are we have a bifurcated mission, if you will. We we fund their programs for children, but we also elevate them. Uh, we it's important to us to see that they can leverage this award, that they can take an award, um, you know, like ours, and really make it into something even bigger for themselves and for the children uh, that they serve. Uh, for example. Um, uh, our youth honoree, Talia Lehman, uh, Limon, after being in New York with us and recognized, there was an, an article by Nicholas Kristoff in the New York Times about her. She got something like eight, 18,000 hits or something on her website. Um, that's leverage. Mm-hmm. Helps them improve their programs and, and do work. Uh, our honoree in Palestine, um, you know, as, as difficult as it's been, she's been unable to get any recognition there. Nobody will, she can't get funds there. All of a sudden, because of this honor, she is being recognized and honored by the uh, local authorities in Ramallah, and they're going to have a big dinner in her honor in Ramallah. Fantastic. That's leverage. And that's what we, what we try to do. So our two missions are to, uh, to leverage and to fund. Now, do you envision this eventually being a, a television event? 
We would love for it to be a television event. The the the, um, the only the kinds of things holding us back are, you know, it, it's difficult for us because my wife and I are ordinary people. I know it mm-hmm. doesn't sound that way. <laughs> uh, you know, we're ordinary people. Yes, we had some good careers, and we're certainly not poor, but we are. You know, we're ordinary, you know, upper middle class Americans. We are not uh, extraordinarily wealthy. We do not have 20 and 30 and 40 million dollars. We are not connected. You know, we're not, as I said, we're not Bill Gates. We're not uh, Lance Armstrong. Uh, so for us to get a TV special is difficult because really we're not well known. Uh, but we're working towards that. You know, you, you have to crawl before you walk. You have to crawl and you have to walk along. It's kind right. of the same way with the universal flag, and I'm in the same position. I've spent my own money, and over the years I've spent a million dollars to create awareness about a symbol that uh, takes away the illusion of this separation, which allows so many of us to walk around and say, oh, well. And, you know, in knowing that we are connected and knowing the total interdependence of all of us on everything, because we're all just a drop of energy, of the same energy, it creates a different view of the world. And as we start to reach out, and, you know, what, what I've learned in, in, you know, remembering this oneness is that there are literally hundreds of thousands of individuals of other parts of us that are making a huge difference in the world. And the more that we share this information with others, the quicker we'll have the changes in the world that we'd like to see. You know, that's that's absolutely true. I mean, I've, I'm sure we've all been watching the horrors that have taken place in India uh, in the last couple of days. And, you know, um, I, I, you know, I'm not going to get into political issues here, but one of the things that uh, I believe breeds some of this terror is a lack of hope and a lack of... Um, uh, of a future for some of the young people in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, uh, I, I, you know, if you look at the, the early reports are that all of these people were, were young people, 18, 19, 20, 21 years old. And, you know, if people see no hope, if they have no future, you know, why not just give up your life and do something crazy like this? I'm sure there are a lot of other reasons, and, you know, I'm not an expert on terrorism by any stretch of the imagination, but I do believe that if we can create hope, if we can create a, a sense that every, you know, person has a future, I mean, and, you know, also not to get into politics, but the the election of, a, of an African-American president in the United States, I think, gives people, uh, at least in this country and those who see it around the world, the, the vision that really these borders are starting to come down. Tremendous hope. These these rules are starting to come down, and there is an opportunity and hope for everybody, no matter what your race, no matter what your religion, uh, no matter what your ethnic or cultural boundaries or geographical boundaries might be. And so, like you, we honestly believe that there's one world. And, you know, if we took a child, one-year-old, we took one from South America and one from Africa and one from Asia and one from the United States and one from Europe and one from Russia and so on and put them all in a room, do you think they would know the difference? <laughs> no, none of them do. They wouldn't. They're children. They would play or they might disagree or they might take each other's toys or they might just have a ball. But they, w- they would not know the difference. The things I've observed is that with children uh, that, that are in third world countries, they um, may not have any toys. They don't have any toys. They just have sticks and they have water pools and and uh, maybe, maybe a tire or something that they can roll around. But... I see a vibrancy and a connectedness and a love in their eyes that is 
beyond anything I experience in a lot of everyday living. Um, at the same time, I see children as they get older start to lose that shine in their eyes, that hope. As hope starts to fade, as they start to become uh, indoctrinated into their belief system of not going anywhere. And, you know, as I talked to groups, it was because they had no school to go to and they knew that they weren't going to be leaving their community because there was nowhere to go. There was nothing to do. It was simply a search for survival on a daily basis. And, you know, part of that, part of the changes that, that I see taking place in the world, or I believe will continue to take place, is, is an empowerment of people, not giving them a handout, but giving them a hand up, giving them the opportunity. And it starts internally, just like the people that you're talking about. I saw many, many people making small steps in these third world countries that are starting to change the plight of younger people. And there is a an effect of uh, synchronicity of just continuing to spread out and out and out. And as you help someone else, they help someone else. And it goes on ad infinitum. And our world changes. You know, that's absolutely true. And I don't want people to believe it's just third world countries. We have that same thing in the United States, maybe to a little bit lesser degree. But unfortunately, there are pockets of of people, of, of young people in this country who feel the same way, that they have no hope um, and and that they have no future. And, and we, we should not, you know, it's important to be global because we are a global world today. And obviously, world of children is global. But we, we shouldn't ever forget that we also have issues in the United States of America, and uh, and we try to deal with all children, uh, both in this in this country and beyond. And it makes me sad when I go into, you know, some areas of uh, of this country, even in some of the most urban big cities, uh, and see children with this just blank stare in their eyes because they look around them and what do they see? They don't see hope. They, you know, I'd... they see devastation and destitution. I just finished a, a book uh, written on Bobby Kennedy's uh, last days on earth, and I can't think of what the name of it was. It might have been his last 182 days. The last campaign is what the name was. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 Bobby had a real connection with uh, the Indians on the Indian reservations, and yeah. it really opened my eyes to the deprivation that there was there. In 1968, there was tremendous deprivation, and today I find out that it's even worse. Nothing has changed since then, and in fact, the uh, average uh, age of uh, of an adult is 51 years of age. It's gone down by two years. Yeah. And a life expectancy. We, so we, we, you know, there are there are there are lots and lots of it, it, the, another one of the messages I'd like to leave the audience with is this. Don't get into vapor lock about the fact that the problems are so big and they're so, you know, uh, horrendous and everywhere there's problems. And so, you know, what am I going to do? I can't do anything. We can all do something. Everybody can do something. I don't care whether it's going to a soup kitchen and ladling out soup because you don't have money to donate to a charity. Everybody can do something. You know, uh, you can go down and, 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 and uh, if you're handy, you can fix bicycles so kids can ride a bike to school and Instead of having to walk, everybody can do something. You know, there's in, in this country, the United States of America, as I said, we are the most fortunate people on earth. I believe that everybody who's listening to the show can do something. It's just a question of what. And don't get into vapor lock. If, if you see one child 
one child who had nothing, had that blank stare on their face, smile at you once, you will have the biggest reward of your life. Absolutely. You know, there is something, and it's kind of what I talked about at the opening of the show. It's as simple as smiling. It's as simple as smiling at other people as you walk by instead of walking and being caught in your own world, starting that smile from the inside and envisioning your heart to smile. And as you envision your heart and your entire inside just smiling at the observation of life and the observation of all of the divine things that are taking place without our creating it, without our controlling it, that smile comes out of your eyes and it comes out of your eyes and it reaches somebody else and it reaches someone else who may just need to see your smile today or in this moment, which changes their decision, whatever path they're on. And our world changes with very simple things because what any one of us do for anyone else, we do for the world. Well, this, my wife and I, uh, almost every day, we look at each other and we say, this is the best thing we have ever done in our lives. My wife had a very successful career in business. She's, um, you know, uh, an amazing woman who helped break a glass ceiling in the retail industry and uh, serves on uh, one of the few women who serves on corporate boards now in America in her retirement. And, and um, you know, I, I did okay, did well, had my own business and sold it. But, mm-hmm. you know, this is the best work we have ever done, and we we are so fortunate to do this. When we are in New York with these eight people, um, it is the most emotional week of our lives. It is mm-hmm. the best week of our year, and we get so charged up in that <laughs> week that we have enough energy to keep going for the next 12 months till next November. So <laughs> retrospectively, cancer wasn't such a bad thing, was it? And no, as long as I've been able to survive it, yeah. It's been, it was, <laughs> and it, it really changed your it. life. It allowed you to step back and take a look and observe and to really create something that helps to change our world. And even just in talking, and you and I talking about your program, it's changing the world and it's changing people. It's giving people something to look at. Give us your website one more time. www.worldofchildren.org. And anyone can nominate anyone, correct? Yes, nominations open around February 1st. They are open until the end of April. Um, and anybody can be nominated as long as they you know, meet the minimum requirements, and then, mm-hmm. and then they go through the consideration process. But you can go to our website now, but nominations will not be open until the end of January, beginning of February. And then they go through... September, or how long do they go through? The, then we do the review process takes from the 1st of May until the end of August. And in September, early September, we know who our honorees will be for 2009. And in November, we will bring them to New York and honor them at UNICEF. How long do they stay in New York? Uh, we bring, if they're from, if from abroad, mm-hmm. we bring them in for a minimum of four days, sometimes five, and many of them will stay on longer. We, we, you know, we fund uh, three to five days, depending upon where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. The Americans, we bring in only for two days. Mm-hmm. But, um, but um, you know, because people have to adjust to the time changes and all of that, we bring the international people in earlier. And then what is it that, you know, I'm sure that people can also donate to your... Uh, your world of children is that correct? We would 
would love to have people donate to the world of children. They can go to the website. There's a button uh, on the left side that says Donate Now, and they can make a donation through PayPal. Um, and uh, if you would prefer to send something in, uh, you can send it to our office. The address is on the website. Uh, the office is in Pleasanton, uh, California, just outside of San Francisco. And uh, we would love to have not just people to donate, but when you donate, you become part of our family. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, you will get newsletters and know about what we're doing and learn about all the, the wonderful uh, you know, children that we serve and the people and, and, and the good news stories and sometimes the bad news. We got an email today from one of our past honorees from Mumbai. Uh, desperately seeking help for some of the people who have uh, families who have been so tragically hurt in Mumbai, and mm-hmm. we will put that on our website as well. So, what percentage know, of the uh, donations go directly to help the people? All the do- as I mentioned earlier, a hundred percent of our uh, overhead, which is small to begin with, because we only have one full-time person and two part-time people who are paid. A hundred percent of our cost for overhead is covered by our board. That's part of our board's requirement. Mm-hmm. Re- everything else we get goes back to the children and the and the people who uh, who take care of them. My kind of uh, donation. Yep, a hundred percent of everything else we get goes right back to the programs and the children. <laughs> so um, that's exactly the same with the universal flag. Well, that's great. I'm glad to hear that because uh, you know we made it a, a thing. We changed our board a couple of years ago and said, look, our you know you can't just be a board. You have to have a responsibility, and your responsibility is going to be to cover this overhead, and and they do. Now, where do you see your program going? You started to talk about what you'd like to see. What do you and and Kay want to see happen with World of Children? We want to see it grow. We, you know, uh, I guess it, it, someday, and it may be long after I'm gone. I don't know. But when people think of Nobel Prizes and Pulitzer Prizes and Baldrige Prizes, I hope they also think of World of Children Prizes in the same breath, that it becomes that important. Because right now it isn't, and I understand we're only 11 years old and Nobel is 100 years old or more and Pulitzer is 80-plus years old. You know, we're children. But I hope that we can get there because, to me, children are more important than anything else. And We have no art or literature without children. You know, we have no science or, you know, what good is science if we don't have children to pass it on to and so on. So uh, that's the primary goal. We would like to have more awards, give out more money to children, um, and, and because we, there are thousands of these people doing this work all over the world. Mm-hmm. We, need to, uh, we need to recognize them. We need to help them and support them because they're the people on the ground doing the heavy lifting, not us. Absolutely, absolutely, and that's what's helping to change the world. I mean, I think that it is just genius that you uh, uh, came up with this incredible opportunity to honor people, and really, more than honoring, I think it's so important to bring into the light of awareness what's actually happening, and that's something that, as you continue, is going to become more mainstream in each new day, and I am very pleased that that, uh, my executive producer found you and found the work that you're doing because it's something that we would love, uh, you know, we love for people to know about and to uh, get involved with. Well, thanks for the opportunity. We really appreciate it, and I hope your audience will uh, join us in the World of Children family. They can donate and volunteer to help us go through nominations and read them and vote on them and things like that. So uh, do visit our website and uh, and join us, and uh, uh, I appreciate everything that, that you're doing uh, for through your flag program. I looked it up online. It's extraordinary, and I wish you all great good fortune with it. 
Excellent. You know, I have one last question for you. Yes. How have you seen our world changing in the past 10 years? How have you seen the work that people are doing changing, or have you? Well, I think in the, the, the things that I've seen change in the last 10 years is I see the baby boom generation moving on to new careers, and many of those careers are in philanthropy. Uh, so I see a, a burgeoning of this work. Now, I don't know what this financial downturn will mean uh, in, in, you know, to that. I don't know whether it will stall it out, whether it will um, you know, uh, stunt its growth. But the biggest change I'm seeing in this country is that, uh, that there are more people, and there are a number of organizations now that encourage, and there are books out about you know, uh, second careers in philanthropy and so on. The, the, around the world, the difference I've seen is, is not a positive one, unfortunately. There are wars and insurrection raging in uh, three dozen, I think. It's, I think it's 28 or 30 locations around the world. There's terrorism, as we saw in, in India, and we see saw in the U.S. And, and all over the globe today. That is just um, you know, an unacceptable outcome. Uh, so I think there is a more jaded view internationally than I would like to see. Um, and my hope is that um, that at some point one of these, one or more of these terrorist acts will coalesce the the good people in the world. Because you know the people who do these are are a lunatic fringe, in my opinion. And the bulk of people in the world are good, caring people. And I hope that some one of these events will be cataclysmic enough to cause people to come together and start to put down. Um, this and 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 raise up the 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 opportunities for children around the world. But I'm not encouraged by what I see globally. I mm-hmm. I am encouraged by what I see in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Well, Harry, for on behalf of all of our listeners, I would like to thank you for the great work that you're doing. I'd like to encourage you to continue on. I look forward to uh, getting uh, in touch with you and getting some information so that we can talk with some of the great honorees that you've had and uh, continued success to you. Thank you, and uh, we, we appreciate the opportunity. We'll be in touch with you Monday, and uh, we wish you and your entire audience a happy Thanksgiving and a great year ahead. Thank you. I'll see you next week on A Call to Consciousness. Until then, stay conscious. Thanks for listening. Hey, Tom Hartman here. The holiday season is upon us. Family and friends are going to be dropping by. Are you embarrassed by your old, worn-out furniture? Why not reupholster? New furniture is too expensive. Besides, your old furniture is probably built better, and it's better for the environment. Let Riviera reupholster that sofa, chair, or loveseat. In fact, they can take any piece of furniture and give it a whole new look with over 10,000 fabrics to choose from. Riviera can also refinish your favorite dining room table or any other wood furniture. Listen to this. Call Riviera today, and you can have your furniture reupholstered looking brand new in just 10 days. Here's a special offer. Riviera has extended their 70th anniversary sale. The first 70 callers today will get 70% off the labor on upholstery or wood refinishing. Call 1-800-55-COVER. The first 70 callers get 70% off the labor. That's 1-800-55-COVER. 1-800-55-COVER. Call now. 1-800-55-COVER. So you want to stop smoking. Well, here's what I want you to do. Go to a drugstore and take a stop smoking product off the shelf. Go to the cashier. Tell them you don't want to pay for the product. You just want to take it home and try it. And if and only if you stop smoking, will you then come back and pay for it? 
Most likely, if you tried this, you'd be arrested. But as silly as this sounds, this is exactly what the smoke-free free trial offer is. Smoke-free is a complete all-natural stop-smoking system. And when you call today, they'll send you a 30-day supply of the program absolutely free. This program eliminates withdrawals, cravings, and includes a 30-day supply of the smoke-free capsules, a guide to living smoke-free book, an audio support program, a capsule holder, and a bottle of weight loss capsules just in case you're worried about gaining weight while you're trying to quit. To find out if you qualify for this free trial offer, join the tens of thousands who have quit for life with Smoke Free. Call 1-800-322-3799 today. 1-800-322-3799. This is a limited time offer, so call 1-800-322-3799 now. If you buy tools anywhere else, you're throwing your money away. Now through Sunday, Harbor Freight Tools slashes prices on over 900 items. Great gift ideas for everyone, even if it's for you. 53-piece tool sets, heavy-duty grinders, 9-piece wrench sets. Your choice, just 9 bucks. Even digital multimeters, under 4 bucks. Remember, over 900 items reduced. Deals up to 79% off. Now through Sunday, only at Harbor Freight. For a store near you, go to harborfreightusa.com. I was born for adventure. I was born to lead. I was born to help people. I was born to be a National Guard soldier. Because I'm a doer. Because I want to serve. Because I'm compassionate. Whenever the call comes, I'll be ready. My unit responds and takes action. The community can trust that we will be there to help. No matter what the challenge is, we will bravely face it as National Guard soldiers. Call 1-800-GO-GUARD and ask us about the job opportunities available in your state. Sponsored by the California National Guard. Carried by the California Broadcasters Association and this station. Here's holiday shopping advice from Guitar Center. If you're on a gift mission for your favorite musician, you've got to check out our biggest sale of the year. It's Guitar Center's Thanksgiving weekend sale. Steep weekend discounts. The widest selection of guitar gift packs, drums, keyboards, recording, DJ gear, and more. All at the guaranteed lowest prices. Our helpful sales counselors will help first-timers and pros get in and out quickly with the perfect present. So, you're on a musician mission? See you at the Thanksgiving weekend sale at Guitar Center. Savings guaranteed. Ready for an affordable Las Vegas getaway? Excalibur Hotel and Casino has special room deals just for California residents. Visit Excalibur.com forward slash Vegas for California appreciation rates. That's Excalibur.com forward slash Vegas. Excalibur Las Vegas, where you rule.